This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week, two super cool individuals, super fly even, <laughs> Paul Jaceley. Hello. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm super excited that we're here. I mean, after last week's episode, I can't even imagine what we're going to be talking about that's going to be better, but I think that I, <laughs> we have a pretty solid topic. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, we're we're all good. But let's let's actually dive into the thing we do every single week. Let me ask you, how have you been? How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Kate. I've been good. I finally finished a giant stack of comics I had out from the library. Nice. I had visited a few branches that I hadn't been to before, so I had a good, I don't know, 15 books at one point in the last nice. few weeks. I wait, got wait, through so all of them. Wait, you still like traveled around to different branches to pick up books? Not intentionally. I just oh, okay. happened to be next to a, a library branch one day that okay, I hadn't okay. been to. So then I had to visit that one. And then it happened again. And <laughs> I see. I see. It was not on purpose. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, one of the books I read was The Girl from the Other Side, Volume 1 by Nagabi. I don't think this was ever in a magazine. So it's a manga. And normally, from what I know of mangas, they show up in like the magazines or there's only one basically issue combined with a bunch of other issues this i think went straight to a bound volume because there was no like extra exposition in the different like settings of scenes does that make sense <laughs> yeah like the usually what they'll do in like serialized manga is they'll sometimes they'll have like a recap page in case something right. super juicy happened in the previous chapter yeah yep yeah it, that this book did not have that and it really worked for me um it was more it flowed better than I feel like other manga tends to flow, for me at least. Sure. Um, I really liked this book. It was a black and white book, um, grayscale except for, of course, the cover and then like one color page to like show you um, like the tone of the book, I suppose. But I didn't, I didn't even think that that was necessary because one of the themes of this book is black versus white. Um, it's all about there's a wall... <laughs> like in the like in the title mm -hmm. and you can be inside the wall or you can be outside the wall if you're outside the wall you're um, diseased you're cursed like the people inside the wall don't want you around and gotcha. there's this little girl who's caught on the outside of the wall and a monster takes her in and takes care of her and that's kind of the theme of the book is that even though we have these um supposedly drastically opposing um lifestyles and um like cursed or not cursed these two people take care of one another and it's this this monster who she calls teacher takes care of her he's like um it's really sad because he's he doesn't think that he can touch her because he's worried that he'll curse her but she's this five-year-old girl she just wants she just wants to be held by this person who cares about her right. so it's kind of heartbreaking but it's just this beautiful story about these two people and i immediately requested the next two volumes through interlibrary loan from across the state nice so i hope i can get the whole series somehow to read i think there are five total books so anyway <laughs> yeah i i think that's this book has been brought up on the show before and it's only had like very very positive praise i want to say kate scotchless also read this yeah. but i could be wrong yeah um, she mentioned it oh okay yeah so exactly, yeah. I've I, this is it's on my list now a third time I think <laughs> to yeah, read. Yeah, it. <laughs> it's very it's very good. Um, I also finally got to a couple of the books I actually own, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I managed to finish Abbott. Um, it's a five uh, five issue miniseries, I believe, by Saladin Ahmed and uh, Sammy Cavella. We've definitely talked about it before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. I just wanted I just wanted to express how good it was like i didn't even have to go back and reread the the first four issues like sometimes i will with these short these short um series especially when it's been probably three months since i read the last one yeah but it was just it was such a satisfying book to dive back into and i mean i immediately remembered what was going on just from the characters that were in the first few pages um the tone of the book and the art I wasn't sure about the art in issue one. It was very dark for me, for my taste, but I mm -hmm. fell in love with it. And I hope that we'll get something else by this creative team. Yeah, that book is super rich. I think 
I, I've had the same feeling as you, Kate, like month to month. I didn't feel like I needed any kind of recap. Every single thing stuck out and stuck with me. And I think that's just a sign of a very well-written, well-crafted book. Yeah. I still need to read the last issue. It's sitting there waiting for me. So okay, I'll get it's right to it. Satisfying. Yeah, just, just reminded me that I never finished oh, it. Got to get on that, Paul. But yeah, speaking of Paul, <laughs> how have you been? How have comic books been? <laughs> Uh, comics have been good. They've been numerous, and uh, I've been dealing with a massive stack of single issues I've been trying to get my way through. I gotcha. read some this afternoon, and I really liked them, luckily enough. So, um, Some of the highlights that I read recently are Mr. Miracle Number 10 by Tom King and Mitch Gerrids. Everyone's talking mm-hmm. about this book. Everyone knows what the deal is. I think this is probably the best issue so far. Um, and that's saying a lot, because I basically loved every issue of this book. But something about this issue in particular, the way that the story has led up to this moment, the way that King is writing the interactions between Scott Free and Big Barda, and the weird interlude if the, with the funky Flashman interlude that happens in this book, everything kind of clicked for me, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah um, I, I just read that today, too. It, yeah, it's just perfect. And I think it's interesting, because I think the, the nine-panel grid that Mitch Garretts has used throughout the entire series, there's been some action sequences where it hasn't worked as well and i think it kind of comes off gimmicky at times but in this issue there's so many like quiet moments that work so well with that pacing i just think it's one of those issues where everything kind of clicked really well especially that nick darrington cover of dark side uh, oh if, you get that, if you get that cover like it's it's amazing it's stunning yeah it's pretty much a perfect single issue and i think i've noticed that with a lot of tom king written books that i prefer reading them in single issues because you know, when he's working with Mitch Garrett's, like on this book, the the pacing is very similar. So if you read a bunch of them together, it gets kind of like samey. So mm-hmm. putting it away for a while and coming back and reading it month to month, it's it's like just a reminder of how good of a book it is. I was stunned how much I enjoyed this issue. Yeah, the, just a real quick note on that. I think the, the, the pacing piece is really crucial. Like there are just some blank panels that yeah. really set the pace for it. Mm-hmm. There for the the whole book, and I I super felt into that. I don't usually get like that in some like a lot of other books where they have like blank or like not not blank, but same similar panels like one after another to try to indicate like silence. I'm yeah. usually not into that, but in this particular issue, it was super necessary, and After, it works well, super yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to give too much away, but there's you know that moment where it is Scott and Barda on the couch, you know, and if you've mm-hmm. been in a relationship with someone and you have a bit of a fight, there's got to be that moment where you're quiet and you you know collect yourselves, and that that pacing nails that emotion and that experience so well in that, that issue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the other book I read that I wanted to talk about briefly is Action Comics number one thousand one. I don't know how we're going to start talking about comics with a thousand issues now do, do we say 1001 do we say 1001 this is whole new territory for us yeah <laughs> um so this is by brian michael bendis art by patrick gleason and um unsurprisingly maybe i have some thoughts about brian michael bendis writing superman hmm. um, <laughs> so, <laughs> go, go figure do tell paul <laughs> well here's the thing i really liked the man of steel miniseries that he did that six issue miniseries where he kind of came on board revamped or sort of reset this pieces for superman i actually really really liked that it did a nice job of letting him write Clark and write Superman. And I actually really like the way Bendis writes Clark Kent a lot. And it allowed him to set up this premise for his run on Superman, which is that Lois and Jonathan, the son son of Clark and Lois and Clark, they're, they're off planet. So it's just Superman by himself. And no one else knows why they're gone. Clark knows. But that kind of throws Superman off his game because he, he's not sure... Should I explain what happened? <laughs> Basically, what happens I mean, in the, the miniseries. I, yeah, I, I feel kind of lost here. Okay, sure. So in that miniseries, um, Jor-El, Superman's estranged father from Krypton, comes back. I think it's an alternate reality, Jor-El. I'm not quite sure. Who knows at this point? Okay. He comes back and he says, you know, John Kent is literally the last son of Krypton since he has Kryptonian blood. So Jor-El wants to take John, his grandson, and teach him the entire history of Krypton and show him the rest of the, the universe. And okay. uh, you know, Clark and Lois kind of go back and forth whether they should do that. They don't really know this Jor-El that well, obviously, since <laughs> Superman assumed his father was dead his entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, but they eventually decide that Lois would go with them. So Lois, John, and Jor-El leave, and that leaves Clark by himself. And in the events of that miniseries, this one means of communication he has with them, it gets destroyed. So he actually has no way of getting in contact with them. 
Gotcha. So that that makes him pretty distraught, and that throws Superman off his game. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Like, how do you kind of make Superman vulnerable? And this is how Bendis does it. And I think it's pretty smart. Um, the issue is that Bendis is writing action comics and a new Superman series. I read Superman number one a couple weeks ago, and I didn't like it. It was what I thought a Bendis superhero book, Superman book, would be. Overly talky, okay. not that interesting. Um, but luckily, Action Comics is much better. I really enjoyed this single issue, this first issue. It follows up on a lot of those threads that he introduces in Man of Steel, I think, better than his Superman book. So I'm hoping that these two books, Superman and Action Comics, stay separate enough where I can just read the one, but I know that's not the case. Like, I know they're going to cross over at some point. So Of course. Yeah. But I, I did like it. I, again, I am surprised how much I'm enjoying Bendis's, uh Superman stuff. And well, uh, one quick one quick yeah. question about that just just before you dive into the last bit here. Do you think that Action Comics will go back to being like an anthology book where it's not just telling Superman's story but it's also telling other stories in the Superman region and maybe Bendis is trying to say I'm doing Action Comics for a bit about Superman but I also have this dedicated Superman book so that he can mm. talk about, you know, other characters in the the Superman circle of friends. Uh, boy, that's a good question. I don't think they would do that just because anthology books historically don't sell very well in the okay. you know American market. Um, yeah, yeah. And I don't think that's Bendis's style, really. Uh, if if you were going to do that, I think you'd want a different creative team, you know, to do backup mm-hmm. stories or something. Okay. But what what I think is interesting is that this book feels more centered on Metropolis, whereas the first issue of Superman that he wrote, it's Superman initially going off to try to find. Uh, Lois and John, and he gets distracted. So that might be more of the sort of big scope book, whereas action might be the more stories about you know Superman in Metropolis. A large chunk of this first issue it takes place in the Daily Planet newsroom, and I love gotcha. the way Bendis does the interaction with the the Daily Planet writers and stuff. So if it's that focus, I would really appreciate that. And then you kind of do. There's a lot of different threads you could bring in that way with it being a newsroom sort of setting. So mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Cool. I just have a very important question. Yes. <laughs> have you read all 1001 action comics? <laughs> I'm slowly working my way back from 101 down to one. No, oh my no, gosh. Um, no. No, I, do, I think I, it's interesting. I think that, that number, I'm glad action comics went back to legacy numbering. I understand why legacy numbering is an issue that some people have, uh, you know, for or against. But there's something really impressive about saying, like, yeah, this is a this is a legacy title. Like, this is the book that made DC Comics what it is today. And, like, 1001 Issues, uh, that's pretty impressive. You don't need to read all 1001. That's the thing. I think that's what we're talking about today on this topic is the revamping of characters over time, right? Yeah. So yeah. I like the idea that a new creative team comes on and you've got a starting point, but you're still acknowledging the le- rich legacy and history of the title. So. Mm-hmm. Um, I know Mark Wade once said that he read he's read every single Superman story, so I bet he's read all one thousand one issues. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then I'm, uh, I'm way too intimidated to try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, to try well, at this point. Yeah, I just think you got to pick and choose, you know. So I, I bet of one thousand one issues, not all of them are going to be great. So you can probably skip a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then very, very briefly, I do want to say that my favorite new book that I'm reading right now is The Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing and Joe Bennett. I read the fourth oh, issue that came out uh, this week. This book is so good, and I really want to talk about it, but I'll save my my thoughts on it because I think it fits in today's topic. So Absolutely. I'll leave you hanging until then. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, what for me, I, oh. oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, for me this week, um, I read a bunch of books, been still trying to play catch up. I've been like, I don't know, reading a lot of manga and watching a lot of wrestling. So, like, nice. Paul, I think you'll be happy <laughs> nice. about that. But <laughs> instead of reading comics, I've been watching wrestling. But I haven't, I did read some books. Um, I sat down and read X Men Grand Design New Genesis number one. I think that's what it's called. Mm-hmm. This is Ed Piscord. This is the best fucking X Men book ever. <laughs> However,. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this one felt a lot longer than the previous two. Um, I know this is like a number one, but it's like the second in a series of three. I don't know. It's it's weird. They're doing numbering really weird. I don't care. I'm just I'm reading this. I have getting every single cover because I'm a sucker. This book is beautiful. <laughs> it is a perfect history of the X-Men so far. I'm really excited because I think Gambit's going to show up in either the next issue or the issue after that. I'm real excited to see how that plays out. But this one was super long. Um, I think I spent like 35, 40 minutes reading this issue, like trying to take every single panel Mm -hmm. in, every little story beat in. And I realized that 
Piscor, he has a really tough time right now because he's trying to sum up the weird times around the 70s and 80s that were the X-Men. And if, if you know anything about X-Men history, it's, it's that it's really fucking stupid and really complicated. <laughs> and he, the fact that he was able to make a coherent story in one issue um, to sum up parts of that, to get through the majority of the Phoenix Saga or chunk of the Phoenix Saga without it being so overly confusing is... is a testament to how great of a storyteller he is. Mm-hmm. I think the guy, he has a deep, deep love and care for the X-Men, and he's showing it every single page, every single panel, the choice of dialogue, the like references back to things that that have been happening, like calling back and making sure that all the creators are being c- called out. Like The dude cares about X-Men, and it's it's I have nothing but respect for him. Like This guy will have my respect for forever um, as far as his comic books are concerned, and I already really loved his stuff to begin with. Um, so if you, if you haven't picked this up, make sure you go either get this issue or wait until the single issues are collected into these cool oversized deluxe editions that are fucking beautiful to put on your shelf, even though they're tw- almost twice the size of a regular trade. Um, they're gorgeous books. Yeah, I, I, I picked series. this up. I haven't read this issue yet, but I, I really liked the previous volume, but those yeah. two issues that came out before. And again, it is like a... It, it's a great investment because there are five dollar issues, I think. But you, again, you spend like forty minutes, like pouring over each panel, <laughs> trying to mm-hmm. make sense of it all. Same thing with Ed Prisker's uh, Hip Hop Family Family Tree. I feel like those books took me forever to read because they're so yeah, like overloaded with information. But it's it's a joy to read because his passion comes through, like you said. So can't wait to read this. Totally. One. Yeah, I, and that's really I can't stress enough. I think Paul, you you made the point, but um, you know, five dollars for like almost an hour's worth of reading. If you really take your time on it and in, in like really pay attention to every single panel and stuff. It, there's so much information in one book and they're oversized issues too. Like you're getting your money's worth for the dollars that you're paying. Yep. Uh, and there's no ads in the book. That's like the coolest part <laughs> outside <laughs> yeah. of like the covers. There's no ads in the book, which is awesome. <laughs> um, but I'll stop harping on that. I also read another book. <laughs> uh, I read the seeds. Number one, this is Anne Nascenti and David aha. This is their book coming from dark horse. Um, I was a little hesitant on this book because for some reason I feel like there's this cloud of weirdness around the development of this book or I read an article about something I don't remember. Hmm. Um, But nonetheless, I picked it up (laughs) because I can't be turned away from a David Aha book. Um, This book is very weird and I wrote in my notes, I can get with this weird, 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 gorgeous book because (laughs) it that's exactly what it is. It's a little all over. Um, it felt like the writing was really clunky, but I also think that the problem with that was that I was reading this book in digital guided view. Um, I don't think that this is a book meant to be read in guided view because of the way that AHA develops his panels. They kind of fit into a bigger picture of the whole page. So when you're reading it, I highly recommend you read it either in full page on digital or read it the actual physical book because there was a lot that I felt like I missed in terms of just like symmetry and general layout that you don't get sometimes in guided view. And I know you can turn on the show full page before you go in, but like, I think you really need to read it in a full page overview to get everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's, there's a weird focus on hexagons um, because there's this thing about seeds and there's bees and something supernatural, even though this feels like a really gritty down to earth story about a journalist. Um, and there's a couple other player characters that um, I don't really want to talk about because it spoils the book. As mm-hmm. soon as you figure out what they are, it spoils the whole first issue. So I will say this is a pretty solid book. I think I'm going to keep going. Um, and yeah, I, I had no idea where this book was going when I picked it up. I thought it was going to be a story, like I said, about a journalist. Maybe it was about bees dying because that's a thing you know, that we're worried about. <laughs> right. But it is so much more than that. There is a lot of story going on, and I'm really excited to see where it goes. I really hope that David Aha can keep up on a schedule. Um, because I don't know. I don't know where delays lie when it can't comes to books when he's on it. Like Specifically, I'm talking mm-hmm. about Hawkeye. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I'm a little worried about about scheduling stuff but maybe it's a this is a shorter series that's already done maybe um he has a good schedule and he's driven to at least create the book i don't know we'll, we'll see well, or maybe many... innocente i don't know maybe maybe they're a bad writer and not keeping well, up with their script deadlines well well mike <laughs> we'll mike see. mike let me uh, let me tell you i also read the seeds number one. Oh, you did okay. and about the single issue and on the back cover it helpfully says issue 104 so, oh, okay. I was just <laughs> going to ask how many issues. Yeah. Thank um, you, Paul, for yeah. clearing up a detail that I should have seen a mile away. <laughs> I have had this on my list for months. I don't yeah. remember where I first heard about it, but it's been 
on my incredibly long um, <laughs> check out this comic book list in my phone for I want to gotcha. I want to say it's been like six months. Yeah, I I I will just say I absolutely loved it. I was excited for this book when it was first announced because this is one of the books that Karen Berger, the uh, former editor of Vertigo is yep. doing is curating for dark horse so it's kind of her imprint that she has over there and again i mean the creative names you have there karen berger david aha and and Anna senti those are all people i really like so and i absolutely love this book you were right mike it's super creepy and weird it kind of drops you in in the middle of the story and you have to f- kind of dig your way through it but mm-hmm. um yeah aha's aha's art is just stunning in this book i love the monochromatic style where it's oh, just like man. black white and just that sickly green color he uses yeah mm-hmm. it's a stunning visually stunning book and I can't wait to read the rest of it. So, yeah, I, I have to go pick up a physical copy of this book. I'm gonna, I'm definitely got to do that now. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But anyways, let's move on because I could, I could talk about like all of the individual pages and how David Aha's work just <laughs> blows my mind. With like, he can just draw like one little tiny line and you get someone's full like depressed state <laughs> in one panel. <laughs> blows yeah. my mind. Anyways, let's talk about what we're excited for this upcoming week. Comic books are coming out on August eighth, two thousand eighteen. What are you both excited for? Let's start with you, Paul. I am excited for the second issue of Catwoman. This is the new series uh, about Catwoman, Selina Kyle. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's written and drawn by Joelle Jones, and that pretty much should sell the book to you right there. Um, <laughs> uh, I picked up the first issue um, because because based on uh, Jones's other work that I've really enjoyed, and it was a visually stunning book. I just I like the way that. I like get the sense that it's basically her being able to do whatever the fuck she wants with the character. And there are page designs in that first issue that are just absolutely stunning, just like crafted in just a beautiful, striking way. The way that she draws Selena Kyle, she draws her like, you know, feline-esque. Like it just captures the character in this really amazing way. I say here in my notes that um, Jones's art style fits Selena perfectly, which is a bad <laughs> pun. So I was debating whether I should include that. It's so bad, but it is always used. (laughs) Like, I'm just, I'm glad you did it. I'm just happy that it's in our notes. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I I really like the first issue a lot. Basically, the premise is that, um, and spoiler alert, if you haven't read Batman number 50, um, (gasps) well, maybe I shouldn't spoil it. Uh, oh, no, I have. It's, okay. I feel like it's been exploded all over the internet, but we did give a spoiler warning. We'll just say that. Exactly. DC spoiled it before the issue even came out. But anyway, yeah. um, you know, Selena breaks off her engagement with Bruce Wayne. Uh, her and Batman don't get married. And basically, Selena leaves Gotham City, and she's in a new city. She's, uh, I can't remember exactly where it is. I don't know if it's even named. But it's uh, a city with a sort of a lively gambling nightlife, and she becomes a character that's working the tables in the casinos all night, attracts the eye of the sort of organized crime in that city. And uh, she's mm-hmm. kind of put the Catwoman persona aside until she gets a package from Alfred that contains the Catwoman suit. Says, you know, we've thought you might need this again at some point. And then it turns out there's an imposter Catwoman running around the city murdering cops. And it turns out at the end of the first issue that there's not just one imposter Catwoman. There's a whole bunch of them being controlled by a mob boss in the city. So oh Selena, of course, has to get her suit back on and find out what's going on. So... It's a really intriguing story. I like that Catwoman is a character that doesn't need Batman to be interesting. She can totally stand on her own. And having someone like Joelle Jones with such a definitive and unique art style with that character, it just fits so well. I thought it was a perfect issue, and I'm excited to see where she takes the rest of the series. Oh, man, I hesitated on this book because I, like... I'm trying to cut back. <laughs> You're selling you it too hard, Paul. You can't cut back. That's the problem. I might have to try. I might have to try this. Maybe, yeah. maybe I'll wait for like the first trade. Maybe I can trade wait this one. Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Kate, what about you? What are you excited for this upcoming week? So when, well, while I was looking for what was coming out next week, I noticed that there are 300 variant covers for Fantastic Four number one. <laughs> wait, 300 uh, or 30? 30. I'm sorry. Oh, oh, I was like, oh, Jesus. It definitely looked like 300 when I was scrolling through all of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, anyway, so the book that I'm excited for is called Black Badge number one. Oh, yeah. It's by Matt Kent and J- Tyler Jenkins, who did uh, Grass Kings. And I haven't read Grass Kings yet. I, I intend to. Somewhere a- Nick is crying in a corner knowing that <laughs> someone has not read Grass Kings and admitted it. Well, I haven't <laughs> listened to your to your mini episode that came out a few weeks ago yet oh, okay. because I wanted okay. to read it first. So you it should. just keeps starting in my queue and I'm like, no, spoilers, pause. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. So anyway, Black Badge is about a top secret um, government 
troop of Boy Scouts. (laughs) 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 And I love it. So other than the creative team, this grabbed me immediately because I used to be in a a co-ed group of Boy Scouts called Venturing. Okay. You know, we went all over the place and did all sorts of things, climbed rocks and scuba dived and and all that stuff. So I really want to see like how this creative team can take that kind of like adventuring spirit and turn (laughs) it into top secret government missions what kate isn't telling us is that she used to be a teenage wetworks you know assassin uh if i was i didn't know it <laughs> see you they made you forget kate <laughs> yep must have been uh so so now um the boy scouts of america is actually taking girls so i'm really i'm wondering if they somehow like work that in and that becomes like a subplot or something oh so, okay I don't know. I can cross my fingers, but either way, I'm going to be checking out this comic. I'm very excited. <laughs> that sounds super cool. I forgot that this was coming out. I, I should say, I knew that they had a new book coming. I just didn't know when, but that's exciting because there's another book that I got to add to my list. Um. <laughs> yeah. I think this is supposed to be long running also. Um, cool. So I don't know. I might have to just trade away it and get it out of the library. I don't know if I can add another book to my poll, but right, right. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty psyched about this cool well for me this week i'm super excited for domino number five no surprise it's an x-men book this is the gail simone book gail simone and david baldion um i'm loving this book if i mean if you don't know who domino is as a character and you haven't read this book you really got to get on it because it's gail simone being fantastic writing a character that she obviously loves to death um with a bunch of side characters in the story that she really loves and we get some very well put together deadpool like appearances in this book and I'm, I'm really really happy with it i i cannot express how cool it is um i mean at this point whatever gail simone's up to i'm in and right now we're focusing on domino is in a state where her luck has been taken away from her or has been used against her and she's trying to essentially get her mojo back so she went to go visit the one person that's in control of their body and everything around them and that is shang chi and he is a good looking man and Domino is not afraid to admit that. So there's this interesting kind of romancy thing happening. Um, Shang-Chi is being hunted by some Yakuza that he apparently beat up. Um, and it's a really fun, action-packed, kind of sexy book. And I'm all for it. It is, it is the most fun I have in comic books week to week. It's, at least as far as my X-Men books are concerned. And I'm happy about that because the rest of them are kind of just... A little too serious. Um, <laughs> I will say, uh, Baldion's art is really, really good. Like he he gets some facial expressions in this series that are just choice. Um, and I I almost I think I have a small folder of screenshots that I could maybe share at one point. But yeah, I, I really enjoy what he's doing. You can tell that every once in a while he takes some really advanced patterns like um, lace or maybe some intricate like wall art or something, and he kind of like puts it on top of a blank background. But otherwise. This, the, the art in this is stupendous. Um, he's very good at making people look very good. I'll say that as well. <laughs> and not in like a skeezy way. I feel like it's very, it's, it's very well done sexy art. And that's something I can appreciate. And this book is, like I said, it's just a lot of fun. So if you're not reading it, I highly recommend at least picking up the trade. I feel like it's a book you can kind of jump into. And if you don't know some of the characters, uh, Domino does a great job as the narrator. Gail Simone's writing. Um outlining who everybody is why they're friends how you know how long they've known each other it's she builds some really solid relationships really fast and the book just takes off running it's real good hmm. interesting that's a character Connor. i know nothing about so you kind of that's fine me, so you yeah. could just you could just jump right in you don't even know anything about domino it's pretty okay. cool <laughs> um especially if you like the character from the most recent deadpool movie and i don't know if you saw that hmm. but i feel yeah. like they like she embraces that same kind of like i'm really cool mentality and it really works yeah anyways i let's dive into x-men again uh (laughs) let's take a quick break and we'll come back and we're going to talk about extreme changes in characters and plot lines which is a very broad topic but we're going to dive in real fast real hard when we come back For our show this week, we're talking about something of a vague question. Um, the topic was 
extreme changes in existing characters or plot lines. And my sub-question was, when is this a good thing or is this a bad thing? Uh, and there's there's a lot to kind of unpack from that question, but I you know I had some examples, Kate had some examples, Paul had some examples. Um, let's kind of dive into some things that that we think are extreme changes for characters, and then there's kind of a another piece to this that I think we can get into. Um, I know I can go on and on about X Men, but I think I've done enough of that, so let's <laughs> get into it later. Um, Kate, I think this this actually was a topic that you had suggested at one point, or in my head, I think yeah. you did. So let's start with you. Uh, so the first time I really noticed um, extreme changes in a comic book character was actually kind of a cross medium character. It was Spike in the new Buffy. I say new. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the Buffy TV show that was season mm-hmm. one through seven, and then they picked it back up with season eight in comics, and that's been going for years and years and years, and I'm very behind. But I noticed um, Spike's just incredible shift that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, spoilers for something that's been out for a long time spike dies at the end of the tv show and then suddenly he's back in the comics and at least up to the point (laughs) until uh, you know when he's reintroduced um or shortly after that even it's never explained how he's back (laughs) how he either survived or was reincarnated in some way but suddenly like he was kind of this like sort of bad boy that was getting um kind of growing as a person becoming slowly becoming good over the course of the show and now he's this seemingly like force for good i think and he's like this leader he's got this whole band of of bug aliens which also came out of nowhere (laughs) (laughs) hold on wow we're still talking about buffy buffy the vampire slayer right (laughs) yes okay Uh, that's like that's one of the reasons that i that i feel like i need to catch up is because this um this comic is just like kind of gone crazy um but sure. i mean this character in particular he's like this this respected leader among this other race and he it kind of felt like almost he was a, just a force to move the plot along like there was a bunch of exposition where he gave the background of the some some mis- mystical object and he's like we have to go i don't remember if it was destroy this thing or contain it or something and like that was never him in the show i was like it just kind of came out of nowhere anytime that he did something good it was basically to help buffy out and he just kind of shows up with these aliens and he's like buffy we have to go do this thing and i'm going to lead this this um charge and like that's just not spike yeah i was gonna say as someone who has seen buffy quite a bit i mean that does not seem like the spike that i i knew um (laughs) that's really weird i guess I mean, any Buffy super fans out there, I'm sure we're going to be getting letters to say, Kate, what were you talking about? Um, know, and I'm sure that it part, I'm sure it gets explained afterward, but I mean, this was already, I think, eight trades into the comic, and there are, I don't know, a lot, a lot of trades. <laughs> so yeah. I, so if it does get explained later, I, I don't remember it. I haven't reread. Um, I reread some, like, the first season a while back, but I haven't reread past that. So maybe. Maybe there's an explanation, but man, it sure. just it just pulled me out of the comic real bad. And I was like, is this, I actually, when I first read it, I was like, is this the same Spike? Is this just like some guy with his face? Like, mm-hmm. Do you think that that's something that's like prevented you from going back to the book just because it feels so different than the, I guess, the characters that you were used to? I think this is like a, a, a weird case of... You had a you know a TV a TV show that was turned into a comic to continue the story. We've kind of yep. done a show about this, or we had plans to do a show about this. You know, continuing a series in comic book form. Like, do you do you think you like do you want to go back? It sounds like you do, but I mean, is this preventing yeah. you from kind of getting fully immersed back into the comic? So Buffy is this kind of crazy monstrosity like when it comes to the comics i think it's really expanded there's like i've i actually just reread no i read for the first time a giles mini that came out yeah and that was i mean on one hand i feel like they stayed true to the characters even spike in this example they stayed true to his dialogue and his his syntax and everything Mm -hmm. but just the the world has just completely changed um i mean in the show buffy basically made it so they're like any girl can be a slayer there's not just one anymore but then now there's this whole thing where it's like magic is dying but then suddenly magic is back and it and it kind of like basically blows up not literally but 
now it's this huge thing. Hmm. Um, I, if I remember right, man, don't quote me on that. But basically, I mean, there are aliens now. There's sure, like, why not? There was a battle with a bunch <laughs> of like giant gods at one point. I think Buddha was in there. <laughs> like, oh, okay. <laughs> so... So what you're saying oh, is it sounds, sounds to me like they've done what, you know, in TV tropes, they call Jump the Shark with yeah. uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm, I like, like, I'm interested, but I, I just don't. I, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a slow process if I catch hmm. up. Buffy's interesting because I, I know that I tried some of the comics and I thought they were cool, but I'm also kind of like, I got seven seasons of that show. Yeah. And that's about as much Buffy as I maybe need in my life. So I, <laughs> that's just for that one example. Um, I'm just trying to find any way to tangent into all of the X-Men examples that I have. Yeah. But I won't yet. I won't yet. I'm resisting. <laughs> yeah. The Slayer army does get a castle in like Romania or someplace. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, as, as someone that has never seen an episode of the TV show and only knows about the original movie, Buffy the Vampire mm-hmm. Slayer, mm-hmm. when you start talking about castles in Romania and alien bug spaceships, you're kind of selling the series to me. I might need to actually watch this stuff. <laughs> or at least jump right to the comics. Skip the TV show. Yeah, I was going to say, just jump, yeah. <laughs> jump right to season eight. They actually did a motion. <laughs> They did a motion comic for the first half of the first oh. volume. Hmm. I didn't get very far with it, but it, it was pretty good. I've seen hmm. parts of it. I, yeah, I don't have anything else to say about Buffy. Please, <laughs> yeah. let's move on. <laughs> All right. So my next big example is, is Rat Queens. We've talked about this before. Um, volume two ends on this huge cliffhanger where there's there's a big reveal about a character. And then... There's, I mean, there was problems with the creators that I'm sure that we all know about mm-hmm. or is readily available online um, yeah. to research. But then volume three jumps right into like after the events of that cliffhanger are resolved, except that they keep referencing it. And it's almost like volume three is like cleaning up like the the emotional trauma and the results of whatever happened between the mm-hmm. volumes. Mm-hmm. Um but then they never show any of that and so that was that was i hard. have i have a question for you have you read all of the released issues of rat queens no i've i okay i trade weight it so i okay. am behind so i will say kate that a lot of your questions and concerns get answered okay whether or not you find that satisfactory is up to you and i will not say <laughs> where i feel on that but um it does kind of get answered like it all the most recent issue that came out i don't remember what number it was kind of puts everything puts a nice ribbon on it all mm-hmm. and so i'll just leave it there but i mean i i'm right there with you with the whole they started a new number one and it seemed like everything was a-okay and that felt really fucking weird yeah i'm right there with you on that yeah i just i kind of felt cheated like if i hadn't been such a um like a supporter of uh, the first volume like the idea um behind the the whole story like i might have just stopped reading it but yeah i don't know i'd reread the first one like three or four times i'd bought bought it for like other people for gifts i'd loaned it out like i was a huge supporter of this this book um originally so i i want to keep going with it in trades but, man, I mean, I, I implore you to, to at least get to the, like, read them all so that we can have a bigger discussion. I would love to talk to somebody yeah. about it, because as far as I know, a lot of people have just dropped that book yeah, because of yeah. reasons <laughs> like this. <laughs> I thought about it real hard, but I think gotcha. I'm at least going to, I at least, I mean, especially if they're wrapping it up. I don't know if they are, but. <laughs> I know they're still doing one shots. That's that's about as much as I know. I do like the one shots. Maybe I'll have to look into that. Mm-hmm. So actually, actually, this raises a question I have about this topic. Um, so I, admittedly, I, I've never read Rat Queens, so I don't know exactly what's going on here, but sure. how much of that change that you noticed is the result of a different creative team versus an actual change to the character dynamics or the tone of the story? Because every series that has multiple creative teams is going to have a slight change. And are we counting mm-hmm. those as these sort of extreme changes where it's just a new take on the character? You know, well, what's I mean, the difference C- Curtis, there? Curtis Weeby stayed on the book, so he's been okay. the consistent writer through the whole series. So it wasn't so much that. I think it's really just this plot change. Like yeah. okay. he took a dramatic, yeah. like two sixty turn, yeah. <laughs> on this book, uh, and it it felt so strange to jump into this number one and feel like they just skipped over a piece of plot that he, maybe he didn't know how to resolve. Yeah, and then okay. it's like he's yeah. like trying to 
it sounds like he's trying to go back to explain what happened and it like it, he could have just played the story out even yeah. if it was just like a like a few one shots or like a three-part mini or something i don't know mm-hmm. yeah. hmm. just seems like he's doing a lot of cleaning up for having yeah. skipped this well and so like i think a lot of this is really interesting because we're right now we, we haven't talked about big two books right <laughs> yeah um yeah and I feel like a lot of these problems come in big two, but Kate, I'm so glad I had like a really hard time coming up with ideas for non big two books. Um, because one of the first ones that I was, I thought of was the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles going from Ooh. this Kevin Eastman and, um, what's his name? Who I'm blanking on, <laughs> uh, the other creator whose name I'm blanking on. I'm so sorry. Uh, it went from this, you know, parody daredevil book that were, you know, there were these turtles and they were out killing people in the night. Um, they were ninjas or whatever to kind of being this semi wholesome book, or at least, you know, the animated TV show and the movies. Um, and they're now, they went from like straight up killers to justice seeking outlaws where they're trying to just beat the bad guy. And whether that involves actual killing is a little bit different. Um, and they, they, typically don't kill i think now whereas i i have a very strong feeling that they did in the early books from what i little i've read so it's like that that kind of change is is pretty dramatic if you think about going from this parody to this multi net like humongous franchise um (laughs) and obviously that that probably had some influence on it but i feel like if you tried to say here read teenage mutant ninja turtles number one from way back in the day and read the most recent iteration you'd get you'd have you'd see an extreme difference in characters um but that was the only one that i could really come up with and i even then i don't know if that's bad but it is an extreme shift to a certain Mm -hmm. extent Mm -hmm. it's a change that stuck and i think that's when i first read this topic for this this episode that was where my brain went it's like not short-term minor changes because believe me reading comics of the 90s every character went through a short-lived extreme change you know what i mean right so but they didn't last they went back reverted back to themselves especially the big two characters but if you're talking about changes that are radical that stuck obviously ninja turtles are one because they went from you know this gritty indie book to you know, these sort of lovable characters. And I don't think you could go back to the original Ninja Turtles. I think you kind of have to stick with what they've become. You can maybe yeah. make it a little bit darker, more, you know, sort of nuanced and adult in a way, but it's always going to have that weight of them being that multinational or international well-known sensation, you know? Yeah, and I think that that's, you see a little bit of that in that Image book that's being published right now. Like there's a TMNT book that's being published by Image, I think. And it's like a grittier, bloodier, like okay. real violent kind of adult mature book um, that's <laughs> right. got less less nuance and more just like let's kill some dudes kind of like <laughs> that blood strike book that came out or oh, you know yeah. things like mm-hmm. that um, I mean and I don't think that there's anything wrong with those books but to compare them side by side you go which one is going to sell more it's probably yeah. the less violent one just because you can market that to a bigger a bigger group of people yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, but I mean that's kind of diverging away from from the actual discussion here. Um, I, what I wanted to say, you know, Kate, just I think I think it's great that you're able to find these examples because I keep coming back to big two examples about mm-hmm. a character that changed and, like Paul said, they kind of went back to being the character that everyone knew that they were introduced as, and especially when it comes to legacy characters. And my whole list of X Men is a perfect example, but I think there's a bunch <laughs> of other ones um, that you can see, you know, in in DC. Uh, and and in Marvel, you know, like the Hulk is a is a great example, and I, yeah. I want to leave that to Paul because I had some <laughs> basic thoughts, but I think you've got a better example there. Yeah, and this is a obviously a pretty recent example where this new Hulk series just started a couple months ago. Uh, only four issues have come out, but the Hulk is one of those characters I think never I could never wrap my head around why. Or how that character still existed. It seems like such a one-note character. And of course, mm-hmm. there's been classic runs with the Hulk. I've read some of the, the Peter David stuff. And I've read you know Planet Hulk and all that stuff. And that's really fun. But those always rely on the changing the character to fit the story more rather than the, the story being driven by what the Hulk is. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but this recent stuff by Al Ewing and um, uh, Joe Bennett is really great because Al Ewing basically said, I'm going to do the Hulk as a horror character. And there's no... It, it literally is not the sort of heckle and jide, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. There we go. It's not that sort of dynamic that most people think about the Hulk. He's doing a straight up horror comic where, uh, you know, Bruce Banner is somehow back from the dead because he got killed during whatever crossover a couple years ago. He's <laughs> yeah. back and... <laughs> It's the it's dynamic from the Hulk TV show where he's like homeless wandering from town to town. But when he falls asleep at night, the Hulk comes out and the Hulk is as smart as Bruce Banner, if not more intelligent. 
And that's terrifying, oh. right? Since he has no idea what happens when he's asleep. And the Hulk in this book, the, there's a couple sort of issues that read as like one shots where the Hulk finds out that there's like, you know, a, a drug dealer who's selling to kids. And the Hulk finds out and he just shows up and just wrecks the house and kills all the, the drug dealers. It's like, oh, the Hulk is like a spirit of vengeance in a sense. And it's mysterious mm-hmm. and dark. And it feels so radically different from the Hulk you know from the movies or the, any other comics. And what's great is that Al Ewing seems to be doubling down on it because the most recent issues, there's been this sort of unraveling mythology about the nature of gamma rays. And there's all this, Bruce Banner's talking about, you know, the figure hiding behind the green door. We don't know what that means. And it gives the book this really mysterious, you know, horrific edge that you would never expect from a Hulk book. And I love it because of that. it feels so radically different from the original character. But, mm-hmm. it, it, but it seems to fit. You know, the idea of the Hulk being a scary monster is already in the character. I think Ewing is just grabbing that knob and turning it all the way up to 11 for the book. And I love it. That's interesting because I, I feel like a lot of the most recent Hulk that I've read, you know, in, in the last decade or so has been just, this is Bruce Banner and he has this tool that he can use called the Hulk yeah. and the Hulk mm-hmm. is mad about it, but they can calm him down and blah, blah, blah. And I know the movies have only highlighted that fact even further, <laughs> um, but this sounds this sounds really cool. I've, I don't yeah. think I've read a quote unquote smart Hulk book. Um, and I wonder, I mean, to, as part of the bigger conversation here is how long will this type of story last for this character you know is is it going to revert back to well bruce banner is going to be back in part of the avengers and the hulk is just going to be a buddy with everybody and hulk smash haha give me a hug (laughs) thor um (laughs) which makes him seem lovable even though he is this terrifying monster i think we've seen multiple depictions of that and i even think when you think about the movies to a certain extent they are scared of the hulk Mm -hmm. even if they have characters like a thor who can potentially stop him or a, a black widow who can tell him that the sun is setting and it's A-OK, bud. Uh, right. Yeah, I think well, that, again, raises another it, topic uh, or another segment of this topic, whereas I think modern comics are so much geared toward, the way they're marketed is geared toward new creative teams. So in, especially with Marvel, it seems whenever there's a change in creative team, you get a new number one. So you don't get the sense of a big change as much. Or the changes mm-hmm. are marked very clearly, where it says like, okay, this is the new take on the character. It might be a little bit different, but it's going to run for a couple arcs that we can put into trades, and then someone else will take over, and it might be a little bit different. I think longer back in the you know seventies and eighties, and even the nineties, those radical changes were more striking. And the examples I could think of of that were, you know, no one's going to write Daredevil the way Daredevil was written in the sixties. After Frank Miller, Daredevil's a different character, and it's never going to go back to that, you know, sort of fun-loving, yeah. you know, Daredevil character. He's always going to be a character that the world is shitting on constantly, you know what I mean? Who's racked with Catholic guilt. Except for that run that Mark Wade did where he was kind of like, cool Daredevil. But <laughs> but that, that book, Mark Wade even makes a point of having, um, you know, uh, Daredevil say, I'm making a conscious choice to be more positive, given my past. Right. So it still this acknowledges that. This is true. Um, and I think Swamp Thing, Swamp Thing was a, just a straight up horror comic when it first was created by, you know, Len Wein and Barry Wrightson. And then the character became, you know, something radically different under Alan Moore. And it's never going to go back like that. That is a demarcation line. You're never going to go back to the original Swamp Thing after Alan Moore wrote the character. And when I think of radical changes, that's what I think of where it is. That is a long lasting change as opposed mm-hmm. to a short term decision by a creative team. And I think this kind of pulls back to what Kate is talking about, you know, with with Spike and Buffy, <laughs> and <laughs> right, yeah. uh, which which I it's it's funny, but like it is a radical change for the character. Um, okay, and yeah. I think Kate, you have some other examples. I didn't mean to completely cut you off. I just kind of wanted to make sure we covered some bases before we got into, you know, yeah. more and more examples. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one of the other more independent books that I noticed a huge shift in was Four Eyes. Um, they had a four-part... This was by Joe Kelly and uh, Max Fiumara. Yeah, yeah. It was put out by Image. And I think that I actually have the first four issues because of you. I think that you might have left them to Brian or I something before you moved to New York. And I yeah. loved the first, the first four issues, the first arc. Because it's just about this kid who his dad dies and he takes care of this um, baby dragon, and the entire mm-hmm. arc is about him like trying to protect his mom and trying to protect this dragon, and uh, there's this like dragon fighting ring. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah. Like you hear about dog fights in the real <laughs> world. Let's dragon fights. Mm-hmm. 
and he just doesn't want his dragon to end up like that but he's also trying to to you know take care of this thing and then you fast forward to the next arc which happens years um later in real time um but basically immediately after the first arc and in story time and i mean it's clear what happened with this kid his story arc it makes sense but he goes from being this protective very defiant kid to now his dragon is in a fighting ring and at one point he hits the dragon and it's just it's this heartbreaking character shift that unfortunately does make sense within the story but i didn't like it (laughs) yeah i mean i mean that's an extreme change that like the the creative team must have made to say right. like, this is the direction the book is going to go and it, it sounds to me like this is something they're not ever going to come back from uh, if they did like a third arc or, or whatever they do with it like they've made a dramatic change in the character in the direction the book is going um, yeah. kind of like what, what Paul is talking about here with Daredevil yeah. or Swamp Thing and so on and so forth yeah, I don't know how this kid... I don't think that there's a way for this kid to go back to, like, kind of... He wasn't really innocent. Like, he knew what was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. But he was a, a force for good. And I, I don't think that there's a way for him to go back to the, like, the page one, issue one good version of himself that he, he had been. But I do hope that there's a third arc that kind of wraps up and they get away from this abusive situation or um, he lets the the dragon go maybe um back into the wild or something i don't know i hope it ends happy but i, I don't see how it's going to end happy for ev- like for the main character gotcha i mean yeah i was gonna say you're you're what you're waiting for is, it sounds like a re- is a redemption arc yeah <laughs> I want you know it. classic classic <laughs> comic book stuff right mm-hmm. yeah um, i just i watched this kid like the D um alignment chart i watched this kid go from like lawful good to like neutral or maybe even neutral evil like (gasps) (sighs) he dipped below the evil line oh no i just don't like it (laughs) i I mean it it was it's a good comic i just don't like the character arc (laughs) gotcha gotcha (laughs) it's very sad (laughs) well i mean i i've i've got my my handful of examples that i'm i'm now i'm just going to open the floodgates (laughs) on yeah well there there are some Oh, go ahead, Sorry, Paul. I was going to say, like, it's interesting because you obviously a lot of your list I'm looking at now is all X Men characters, and I think that seems to be a big part of the X Men's appeal. Again, like Daredevil or Swamp Thing, there was a big shift in tone when like Chris Claremont took over the X Men. He turned into a different book. I mean, a radically yeah. different dynamic, and I think that's kind of built into the characters that type of change. So it's interesting. Yeah, and and I think you know X Men. Their whole thing is they're the next evolution, and maybe right. it makes sense these dramatic character shifts. I think a lot of that could be tied back to what you know something like Chris Claremont did with with the the Phoenix. You know, he took right. this character Jean Grey and turned her into something so much bigger. And that character is never ever 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 going to come back from that. That is all that that right. character is now, which is kind of unfortunate because I think that Jean Grey can be an interesting character when everyone isn't just saying, when are you going to be the Phoenix again? Um, <laughs> but that's just never going to happen. And it's a it's an unfortunate thing because even in a book like the Jean Grey miniseries that Marvel put out, the whole, a large chunk of that book was like, when are you going to be the Phoenix again? But there was so much other good stuff going on. But, I mean, Jean Grey is one example. I think another example of these kind of long-term shifts that have dramatically changed the characters for forever um, would be uh, Warren Worthington III turning, going from Angel to Archangel after he had mm-hmm. made this deal with uh, Apocalypse to essentially say, I lost my wings, please give me new wings, and he got these new metal wings. And now he has two personas. And think that kind of change has, has shifted and gone up and down in a weird wave where he had the metal wings and then the metal wings went away, but his skin was still blue and then the skin went away and he's just a regular dude again, <laughs> except for sometimes he can choose to be the archangel and his regular wings turn into metal wings. We don't really track that over here in the X-Men camp. We just know that it happens. <laughs> but that is a part of his character. He went from this fun-loving character that you was kind of along the same lines as like a Bobby Drake, a.k.a. Iceman, who's kind of a goofball. Warren has a different background than Bobby. He's super rich. So there's always like a Warren Worthington uh, mansion to go to, which is a joke that I think was really funny in X-Men New Genesis, number one, the Ed Piscor book. But he he always has that Archangel character att- attached to him, and it beca- it's become a huge thing. Like Rick Remender's whole um, X- Uncanny X-Force series was kind of revolved around that. 
And even even more recently in Astonishing X-Men, we still see that being a a facet of his character that he can't break away from, um, despite his love and his his relationship with um, Psylocke, where she's trying to get that away from him. But that's I mean that's an example. I think um, Rogue as a character has evolved to a point where she's gone from this helpless teenage girl into a true leader who is someone that like everyone should aspire to be despite all of her problems she has like taken the worst that the world has and thrown it at her and she's grown as a character um i think that's like true character growth like that's maybe not an example of an extreme character change i think that's true character growth but um i don't know quentin choir's change from this massive almost murdering psychopath into just a hip teen who doesn't give a damn um that was a bit of a change that (laughs) happened in jason aaron's run of wolverine and the x-men and I'm okay with it. I'm totally okay with it because him not being a murderous psychopath is great. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Cy- Cyclops is always an example because I have you have to bring him up. He went from Boy Scout to Revolutionary to dead. Um, that'll change how your character development goes. But uh, and I think that him being a revolutionary was a real left out of left field change for Marvel. Like he he just was mad. <laughs> and then he's like, well, I don't think that what's happening is right. And then him and Wolverine got in a fight, and that was it. You know, classic, classic X-Men, I guess. But, yeah, and Professor X is back, by the way. Spoilers for oh. whatever, the last year. But he's not back. But he's changed from Professor X is just like, don't worry, children. Patience will win the day. <laughs> to let's kill him. Let's kill him good, uh. and it should be militant, and who cares? So, I mean, I don't know. There's a lot. There's a lot that goes into that. Some yeah, of them good, some yeah. of them bad. Uh, well, speaking. I mean, speaking of you know the sometimes short you know term extreme changes. You know, the, one of the few X Men books I've read was Graham Morrison's New X Men, which felt like a really radical change, not just mm-hmm. character wise, but in terms of what the X Men meant and in terms of the tone of the book. And I feel like that was such a radical change that it, it, there's no way it could stick. You know what I mean? Yeah. Outside of, uh, I don't know any of those that suck. The whole point of that first, his X-Men book was the character of Zorn. And that mm-hmm. was the best character. And of course, they never followed up on that whole thing of him being Magneto, right? Well, they, uh, I mean, whew, let me <laughs> let me take a step. Let me walk around for a second to figure out the words for this. Uh, they did, Zorn has shown up and disappeared as a character quite a bit, but it's never been the same way that it Morrison introduced him Um, I think one of the things to take out of that book it was not only Zorn but Morrison made this huge push to say mutants are literally taking over the world so many more mutants are being born that it's insane and that's where we got this the reaction to that was Marvel saying well we can just fix that by getting rid of all the mutants with House of M (laughs) Um, now that was a crazy change and Marvel kind of sat on it for like six or seven years um, and then they kind of rolled it back when they did the whole Secret Wars thing, and mutants aren't a huge number, but there are still a lot of them, and they're popping up every day. But that kind of feels more like what the X-Men were back in the 60s and 70s, where and 80s, where they're just kind of finding mutants here and, th- here and there, versus, you know, three-quarters of the United States are mutants now, like which is kind of what Morrison was getting at. Maybe that's an exaggeration, but he was saying that the number was rising consistently. Mutants were waking up every day. And the world didn't know what to do. And, right. and I, he kind of left the book with that. And that was a huge change. I think Marvel reacted with another extreme change. Um, <laughs> but, again, it all kind of fell back. Like, after a decade, things kind of fell back to a status quo. Yeah. Um, and is this a good thing? Is that a bad thing? Um, Paul, you had said something in the break that I think was super relevant to this. Um, something that Stan Lee said? Oh, yeah, yeah. There, I think it's attributed to Stan Lee. There's a pretty famous quote. Uh, when he, I think he's talking about basically Spider-Man. He says, comic fans don't want change. They want the illusion of change. So we, we mm. kind of want to see our characters grow and develop because we we read them for years. We grew up with them. But if it's a step too far, and I think this is kind of what we're hinting at with this, this Morrison's X-Men stuff, if it's a step too far, the reaction is negative. Um, and there's tons of examples of that. I mean... Spider-Man getting married to Jean, to Mary Jane Watson. They really had to walk that back in a pretty extreme way. Um, yeah. You know, the X-Men, Morrison's X-Men stuff, they had to walk that back. Uh, the, the recent stuff with Captain America in, in Secret Wars. I'm sure that was already planned to be walked back, but it was a step too far right off the bat. So mm-hmm. people really don't want change. We just want the illusion of change. I think if you acknowledge that, it's a lot easier to accept the return to the status quo. You know what I mean? It's easier to kind of say like, yeah, they're never really going to change. Superman's always going to come back from the dead. That's fine. That's just, but that's what you want as a comic fan, whether you know it or not. 
Yeah, and I think, you know, um, not to try to say that this justifies it, but I think, you know, some of the examples, Kate, that you've pointed out kind of shows that extreme changes in a book can be negative and, and like and they maybe don't work. And for books like Buffy or books like Four Four Eyes, um, you know, how does how does a writer walk that back? Can they even walk it back? Or is it just too far is it too far in the story to say that we could even that it could be fixed or maybe it could be fixed in a way that you like it because maybe some other readers you know already do like this the way that the book went um and i mean this is all kind of a subjective thing so mm -hmm. like there's no way to take an objective stance on this but it's interesting to see like where where we i think we have examples of where extreme changes have been beneficial and, and extreme changes have been you know not beneficial to a story um and yeah, I don't I, know if there's an answer to this, but <laughs> it's just kind of summing case, things up. It's a case-by-case case basis. I think, you know, one good example, I noticed in the notes here, Kate, that you have She-Hulk as an example. And that's one I never thought of. And that's a character that I think because her origin is so tied to the idea of like, oh, we have to, if you know the history of the character, Stanley basically thought we have to make, we have to copyright the name She-Hulk before someone else comes up with that idea. So she's born not out of a creative... Uh, impulse, but out of a necessity to trademark the name She-Hulk. So, wow. but I didn't know that. Yeah, so the original the original series is kind of created out of necessity. But when John Byrne took over the character, he really changed the character. And his run is it maybe hasn't aged super well. Um, but he kind of took that character and turned it into a commentary on the comics medium, and it broke the fourth wall. Uh, She-Hulk is always talking to the reader. She's always talking to John Byrne, the creator of the book. It's a super like metatextual, weird comic book for being a She-Hulk book. And then I think the recent She-Hulk series uh, that's dealing with She-Hulk and Jennifer Walters' mental state after the death of her cousin, Bruce Banner, that's a big shift. I think that's a positive shift for the book. It gives the character a lot more pathos and nuance. Um, so that's, I think, an example of a character that's changed over multiple times, always for the better. It's always kind of, and it's always a change that is a complete separation or extreme makeover from the previous one, you know? Yeah, I I haven't read any of the old stuff of She-Hulk. I've only read the recent one where mm -hmm. um, she kind of starts off with PTSD or depression. She's, yeah. in, in any case, she's, she's physically gray um, and very just human looking. And over the course of the story, um, the arc, she becomes um, the She-Hulk that she sort of like used to be. She mm -hmm. comes out the, the other side of this. Um, and I enjoyed that change in the character. Um, I think that that was more of a, um, a growth, like a hard work. She put a lot of <laughs> hard work into to finding herself again. She went through a, a couple of combats that I wasn't sure if she was going to make it out of. I mean, it's comics, so of course she's going right. to live, but you know, at what cost? So I think that that was more of a, um, a growth rather than an extreme, like all of a sudden, like shift or... Yeah. It didn't take me out of the story at all. It was just part of the story. <laughs> you know, it was the story. Yeah. Yeah, but, but I, I still think, I, think that's an example of like yeah. an ex a character change that like mm -hmm. was in some way extreme. I think like her dealing with the the, the depression of the, the death of her cousin is like a extreme change in the character, especially when you're going from someone like She Hulk who is super confident and very sure of herself to this person who's not like that's that's crazy. But you got a good story out of it, and she's been she's been able to grow as a character, and that's like a permanent change for good. Right? Yeah, I can't imagine going from the old confident She-Hulk into this new, like, like really down, um, unconfident, <laughs> like, human, basically. <laughs> right. um, yeah. So I'm sure that that would have been an extreme shift, but I, <laughs> I wasn't familiar with that material, so. Yeah, well, I mean... We we could continue to go through examples, but I mean, I, I think this is a this is a really interesting conversation. I really would love to hear people out there who listen to the show. I'd like to hear your examples and your thoughts on extreme changes in characters. I mean, if you can send an email over to ircb at destroythesibe.org or reach out to us on Twitter at ircb podcast. As always, um, anyways, yeah. Final thoughts, Kate and Paul. Yeah, I mean, I, I think like you're saying, this is this is a far bigger, more nuanced topic than maybe I initially thought because the idea is. We were talking about characters that have existed for a long time, especially legacy characters, and that change can always be fleeting because I think there's a nostalgia aspect as being part of a comics fan, but Bad I'm man. glad we picked some examples, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm glad we found some examples where there we had some you know, uh, non-Big 3 examples. We had an example like She-Hulk, which I think has changed completely radically from her initial beginnings, always for the positive. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, when you have 
something that changes the character that radically and it sticks that's you know that is a story that's probably worth revisiting and, re- and reading absolutely yeah i feel like change is what drives characters and stories but when it's so dramatic a change it, it takes me out of the the story that's being told so mm-hmm. well sometimes change is often good sometimes the rate of change can be pretty bad <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i think we've, we've given enough examples to where it's kind of like oh well i don't really want to read this book anymore um <laughs> well cool no i thank you guys for joining me for this episode um make sure to reach out to us all of on all of us on twitter you can follow paul at oh hi Polly. you can follow kate at kl fear uh, on Twitter, it's kind of spelled weird, but you'll find it in the show notes. Uh, you can follow Mike, <laughs> you, me, Mike, on Twitter at Mike Rappin. You can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where we post all sorts of things and retweet things that we think you should see, and we post polls every week. This week's poll is, what is Cyclops's favorite color? Because I can't get away from X-Men things ever in my entire <laughs> life. Um, you can find us on Goodreads. Um, we have uh, semi-weekly threads. Uh, this week, it's uh, we started reading the book of the month, which is Animosity Volume 1. You can also find us at our ircbpodcast.com where we have a pronunciation guide and a merch page. Uh, you can rate and review and subscribe to the show on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to us on. It honestly helps out a lot, so please take a minute to do that. We appreciate that. And like Mike mentioned, if you have any comments about this show or, or the show in general, you can send us an email at ircb at destroythesybe.org. Yeah, Infinity Shred does all the music for the show. There are, as I always say, the best band in the universe. Xander's a wizard. He's a high-five master. And you know what? He's a pretty good DM when it comes to Dungeons and Dragons. I'll just say that. Well, Shadowrun and in general. Fun guy to be around. I want to say thank you to Paul and Kate for being on the show. Thank you for Xander for editing the show. Thank you to the listeners for listening to the show and subscribing and reaching out to us and sending us questions and stuff. We have a Q&A episode coming up next week, so make sure to get a question over to us. But until next time read a comic in public, and be proud of it.